I don't know how to describe it other than like like a demon type of sound. But it's silhouetted, hulking, every bit of five and a half feet wide, 13 to 14 foot tall, pitch black. The one thing that ran through my mind when I had this encounter was I don't have a big enough gun. Your host, two-time witness and field researcher for more than 40 years, William Jevning. Welcome to Creek Devil. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Creek Devil. Tom, would you like to introduce our guest today? Absolutely. We got Matthew from Kentucky. And before we get started, I just want to thank everybody for tuning in this week. And if you like the show, let us know, feed the algorithm, click the like and subscribe if you haven't done so already. And if you want to support the program, you can do so. We have a link in the description. So, Matthew, you and I spoke a little bit last night, and you're in an area that is absolutely fascinating because it's, as you said, it's one of the oldest places on the planet. (laughs) It's got some very old uh, mountains, terrain, rocks, and history with the creatures. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to hand this off to you, start from the beginning, and kind of fill us in on what's going on and what what sort of experiences you've had in Kentucky. All righty. Well, um, I live in the tri-state area where Ohio, Kentucky, and West Virginia meet up. Um, my First occurrence was over in uh, Wayne National Forest at Lake Vesuvius. This was in 2003. <clears throat> um, they were having a regional drum circle type activity where a bunch of people show up and play congas and hang out, have uh, potluck dinners, so on and so forth. So it was Cinco de Mayo, uh, May 5th, 2003. And um, group of friends i think there was five of us total um decided to go over to you know check out the party and um uh, come to find out there was 80 maybe 90 people i believe um total so anyway we show up after work and it's probably close to 10 10 30 at this time and um in the evening that is and you could hear the the party going on about a half mile down the trail. We, we passed everybody up and went out the creek a little farther. It's Paddle Creek. It's the creek, one of the creeks that feeds into the lake to make like Vesuvius kind of the backside. I think there's horse trails and stuff back there. But um, anyway, so I don't think we had even been there like 30 minutes. We're standing in a circle, you know, everybody had set his tent up and, um, several of us were staying and several of us were just planning on staying out till four or five in the morning going home. It's only like 20 minutes from, from uh, downtown. So anyway, we're standing there and, um, the trail follows Paddle Creek and it's only on one side of the Creek. It doesn't cross back and forth a whole bunch. And you get out through there probably a mile, mile and a half. And, <laughs> um, I guess it's about a hundred foot up the hill, which across the creek, up on this rock. Um, most god awful scream. It was like the lowest bass noise I've ever heard. Uh, the volume close to a train horn, I would say. Um, 
like if you're sitting in a train crossing or whatever. And um, so it was like an exponential curve of bass noise into like the loudest high pitched scream that I've ever heard. I like I remember squinting my eyes and like turning my head like it was so so startling and unexpected and scary at the same time. We all just kind of giggled, you know. I think one of us had a flashlight and was kind of shining up at all of our faces. And I remember the look on all my buddies' faces, like that was Bigfoot. You know, <laughs> there's there's just no other creature that would have the lung capacity to do that. And um, I, I would have to speak for all five of us. None of us were big into like sci-fi or you know uh, cryptids or or whatnot, you know. Um, but uh, so the same screams, and it lasted anywhere from ten to maybe twenty seconds, probably average about fifteen, I guess. And um, it would do it again, and we're just kind of standing there in amazement. I mean, none of us took off running; nobody really even said anything. But we just—it would pause in a couple of minutes. We'd go by, and we'd be like, "Let's go back to camp and grab." We'll say Chad. He's a guy that kind of helped put the put the drum circle ring on. And so we go back and get him. He brought a, a friend back to the camp. And we're like, man, listen, this is what do you think this is? You know. And it would do it again. It would scream. And we're just again just stood there and would would walk back to camp maybe 20, 30 minutes later grab another group of people, you know, because you're meandering around talking to different people. We knew probably 10, 15% of the people that were there, locals. <clears throat> so anyway, we just kept taking people back to camp and listened to it scream. It seems like it was the, about the third time we went back to our camp, the, um, the first initial scream, it never seemed to move. And it seemed like the bigger one of, of the three, I would say, um, off in the distance at like a 30, 60 degree angle, a triangle, us being at the peak of the triangle, off to the left, um, there was a, a yell back, and this would yell, and then off to the right at about the same angle uh, over near Iron Ridge Campground, um, there was another yell, like a repeat yell. So, Anyway, we all went back to the main camp, and uh, the drum circle people, um, they had you, like, stand in a circle and introduce yourself and, I don't know, say something witty or say something funny or just tell, tell a short story of some sort. Anyway, I'm about halfway through this ring of people. That's how they knew there was 90 people. They counted them. But um, anyway, I'm... I'm standing there just sweating, <laughs> you know, because I, I failed basic public speaking in college back in the early 90s. But um, uh, so it comes my turn, and I don't even remember if I said my name yet, but the only thing I said was believe. Everybody just you know, paused. And then the next guy, you know, said who he was. And so I, and I don't know what compelled me to, to say that, but that was after the past hour and a half or two's worth of going back and hearing the same scream. And I had never had any accounts up to that point um, related to Bigfoot or anything. So, yeah. Well, let me, uh, I'm, I'm just going to pause for a second here. So you guys hear this incredible roar 
And um, I've heard it from a very, very, very far distance. So it, it had to have been loud, but it, it didn't have an impact. Will has has a story that I love. He's got one where he heard one very close by, probably similar to what you described. So you're, you're not into sci-fi. You're not into cryptids. You're not into Bigfoot. You hear this thing and you made the connection. Yeah, immediately. Yeah, there was no question about it. You know, it was... Uh... I think when I spoke to you yesterday, um, I, I told you it's like I never went hunting. None of my friends have ever went hunting that I know of. Fishing, maybe, <laughs> you know, but uh, none of us are avid hunters or outdoorsmen. But we have spent our lifetime in the woods, whether it's just because our town is like a tree tree city and we're surrounded by woods. So if you played outside, you were you were near some trees, <laughs> some creeks, but. Uh, uh, I don't have any friends either that really had any um, any sightings, but there are quite a few that used to be on BFRO and that aren't. When I first started studying these things, um, um, I, I did leave out a part. Um, uh, it was one of the last times we were standing back there listening to this thing. There was the original five of us that, that showed up at the same time, and somebody said cops and we looked down the trail and it looked like there was a horse with somebody on a horse and a lantern and it looked like there was like hound dogs or something beside it and we thought it was like the dnr or the forest service or people running us off or not having a permit or whatever you know like we weren't doing anything illegal other than that probably but Anyway, we saw that, and all five of us took off running, and we only went like 100 foot down the trail and like hid. I don't know, but, we, but we looked up, and there was nothing there. So I always thought that was kind of one of the weirder parts of the evening. It was like, what the hell was that? You know, what, yeah, you, yeah, you had a, a, a good ex, a good description of the guy in horseback. You said he's like Paul Revere with a lantern in his hand. Yeah, it's almost goofy looking. But um, I, I don't know what that was all about, but that was right after this had happened. So, um, but um, so that that was in, like I said, in May 2003. And if you want to skip ahead till uh, October 2003, um, I hadn't been back over there. Uh, I had moved to Florida and Phoenix to do some construction, made it back to this area and a girlfriend of mine at the time um, said a couple of her friends were camping out there camping out paddle creek let's go over there and sit there sit there camping <laughs> so so like i said it only takes about 20 minutes to get from downtown out out to the lake so we cruised over there and it may have been again 11 o'clock at night and we parked and we walked the one and a half close to two miles out the trail and we see some people camping she's like no that's not them so we passed them on up and didn't see them and decided to leave out and the trail is about six or eight foot wide it's like they bush hogged through the weeds and it's <clears throat> not only right by the creek but then it just turns into the bush hogged part and then weeds and trees and of course the hillside isn't far away either on either side. But um, as we're walking out the trail back to the car, something, uh, I don't know, eight or 10 foot away in the weeds to our left growled with the same low volume 
but it's like real wet and gnarly sounding growl. That wasn't wasn't a cat. <laughs> you know, it's something a lot larger. You can just tell by how much it popped. And um, we know, took eight or ten more steps, and she's like, "Did you hear that?" I was like, "I was hoping you didn't hear that." Just keep going. I shine my flashlight up the trail. I had a Basenji at the time, little little hunting dog, and she had stopped and looked back at us. I was like, "Okay, good. She's in front of us. Just keep going, keep going." You know, we went back to the car and. I don't even know if we discussed it any after that or not. Um, and uh, that was also in 03, and nothing really happened until I started working at an off-road park. Um, I don't well, let me back up for just a second. I want to talk about that growl for a minute because um, yeah. I know people and I've experienced it myself. So it's a low guttural growl. And yeah. you knew it's you, you. You can tell it's not a mountain lion, right? Right. They have a very distinct growl. It's not quite the low frequency that that these things are. Did it feel kind of like a projected growl, like it's you know mm-hmm. almost projected through the forest? Yeah, and it wasn't far away either. And that was a little bit creepy. You could feel that the yell of the first initial. Yeah, I was telling you about. Um, you could feel it in like in the ground also. But this thing was, um, yeah, it was just real wet and poppy. It probably only lasted um, two and a half, three seconds. Just one, okay. one continuous growl. Probably. <laughs> right, right. No, I understand. And that's one too many, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. All right, so I, I apologize. I just want to get a little bit of little yeah, detail yeah. on that. So. I'm, I'm skipping ahead here quite a bit. Actually, um, in, in 2010, we got a new lab puppy. I was married at this time, and uh, he got to be about uh, nine months old before I got him out in the woods, and we just like let him free. So, of course, we went to, went to Paddle Creek, middle of the day, a buddy of mine told me he had found an artifact out that way, and I had never hunted that little spur of the creek. So I only went out um, probably 200 yards out the trail and then turned right up this little creek. And immediately it was like, you know, you get the feeling something's watching you. I've only really had that happen once at like Red River Gorge in central Kentucky and looked up and it was a big buck. But, I mean, anyway, I felt like something – I was feeling a little creeped out back in there. And uh, my dog's running around, running around the creek, running up the hill, jumping in the creek, having a good old time. And uh, once I got to about as far as I was wanting to travel back in there, just a couple hundred yards, I thought, I haven't been here since that thing screamed or whatever, the, the growl. And since then, I had done quite a bit of, research i probably had the bfr memorized at that point <laughs> but um i thought well i've never done a tree knock so i did a tree knock and instantly got a response back just probably 100 yards away down the stream i was like okay dog come on let's go and we left that was enough for me right then it's like it was louisville slugger style smacking the tree you know it's like ah so that kind of creeped me out. So that was pretty much three in a row. 
for that area. And, after and again, I just want to clarify, this is, uh, you said this is a very specific area in Kentucky, right? This, this, um, Kind of, kind of a park, is it? Large, large park. Well, all, all, all the stuff that I just mentioned is Lake Vesuvius in Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Okay, gotcha. All right, my apologies. Yes. Okay. No, I, I, I was kind of still on the the, um, the the Lake Vesuvius, the the screaming, the growling, and the tree knock. That was all Lake Vesuvius in pre two, you know, two thousand three, two thousand ten. And uh, now I'll go ahead and skip to the off road park. It's uh, close to the tri-state area. It's 10,000 square acres or a little less. It uh, has a state route running through the middle of it to divide the park into two parts. And I do trail patrol. So I'm in a vehicle uh, cruising around 150 miles worth of trails within the boundaries of the park. And uh, I'll spend anywhere from 150 to about 300 hours a month in the woods. Um, sometimes I work night shift. You know, come in in the morning and work all day, work till two a.m. or whatever. But um, I'm I'm in the woods a lot by myself, and just random cutting cutting through these trails. And um, some weekends are busy. Some sometimes there's riders throughout the week. Sometimes we have maintenance to do during the week. So we come out and there's only, you know, three or four people in the park. But um, I've had some pretty strange activity out this way. Um, after after reading a lot of the local reports, I, one stuck out um, in this particular state route that cuts to the middle of the park. Uh, a couple had moved from out of town and was getting some activity on the hillside out behind their their trailer and uh, uh that one ended up coming down and looking in the end of the lady's trailer while she was doing the dishes one night so I, I believe that was about all that report consisted of but that's in the same area that i'm telling you this off-road park is okay so <laughs> let me uh i apologize I, I keep interrupting but i'm i just i had a question so at this time, your official job duties is you're some sort of a uh, uh, personnel. F- you work for what the state or the county or it's a private off-road park for ATV, jeeps, motorcycles. Okay, all right. And so you're an employee there, and you get access to reports, and you have to you read them, and you know what you file them or. Well, um, yeah, I do a. Um, uh, weekend report like today i did a uh, like a search and rescue a guy had went off the, the beaten path and had a small accident so on and so forth I, I report stuff like that but generally um i just cruise around and see if people have their passes because it's you know you got to pay to to ride at the park and mm-hmm, uh, sure. some, people, some people have you know have been this is the first time they've ever been there so they've uh, you know they need directions um, and uh, we do everything from uh, search and rescue to go collect the trash in the cans seven miles away or whatever, you know, at the farthest end of the park. So it's just a, it's something different every day. But yeah, I ride around. Okay. 
six and a half. All right, so you have an official capacity there. uh, And I'm curious, so you got a report, was it inside the park boundaries that somebody had reported seeing one of these things looking in their window? Give us a little bit of detail on that. Uh, That was a BFRO report um, in our county. Um, That was in closer to 2003 when I had my account over Lake Vesuvius. And after that, I started digging into all kinds of different reports and uh, discovered the ones that were close around here just to kind of add to you know, my speculation of <laughs> how many of these things really could be around. Oh, yeah, um, sure. So, uh, yeah, the, the lady and her husband reported – if I'm not mistaken, they weren't from here, but they moved out to this certain area, lived in a, in a trailer, and would sit on the back porch. And they hear stuff walking around on the hillside, and the husband was like, it's deer. Don't worry about it. I don't know what other activity they had, but the thing ended up looking in their window, and they had somebody come out from BFRO and report it, and they measured, and of course, it's eight foot into the window. Um, so... Um, as of two years ago, um, I rent a little piece of property about a half acre off of the park. I live elsewhere, but I rent a little place and it has a little garage on it. It's about a half acre and not connected to the trails, but I can see them through the woods. Um, so um, a lot of my activity is since I've been working at the park, kind of started there. Um, I was looking for a place to rent where I could pull my work vehicle into. I've got a Land Rover. Uh, sometimes I drive it or a motorcycle or one of the work vehicles. So anyway, um, this little piece of property has a little makeshift garage. And I took my sister with me to look at it for the first time. And it's like, heck yeah, I'll take this place. It's nice. And on the way out, we saw a little dog as a Australian shepherd type thing. I was like, oh, I wonder if that little dog comes with the place. You know, nobody's lived back here in years. There's no house. Um, I guess you could put a trailer there if you had one. But anyway, that's a cute little dog. And it's kind of on our way out the driveway, which is a couple hundred yards long before you pop out on the state route. Well, a week later is when I had decided to rent the place and went back out there by myself. And the garage doors were standing wide open. They swing out. And that dog was laying on its left side with its arms straight down like it was sleeping. And it had one big bite out of its, like, like its side, you know, its rib cage and stomach area. And and it it looked like it was just laid there. There wasn't any other blood around. Its neck wasn't twisted or legs broken or nothing. Oh, that's that's odd, <laughs> you know. Just, just laying in the middle of this garage, that's awful. It's just horrible, you know. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, my sister was like, she's like, that place spooks me out, you know. It's like, what? She said, Do you notice the broken trees out back? I'm like, no. So like, didn't Bigfoot like snap trees off and shit? <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah, I guess I didn't see him, but. Uh, um, Anyway, 
that was kind of the start of having activity in the park. Um, and again, that was at my rental place, but it's attached to the park. Uh, we have another little area that's employee camping and, uh, it's away from the main campground and kind of away from the dust and back in its own little holler. But, um, uh, let's see, I've, I've got a map and I started plotting this stuff out to see how it all groups together. And, um, Recently, I think as recent as Christmas, I believe, I was at my garage rental and uh, had a campfire going. I think right after Christmas up to about New Year's, it was unseasonably warm. It was like in the 60s. And so at night, it might mist or something, but it was like really warm. And I slept out by the campfire. And... Um, just a couple of days later, I was looking at the property and there's a little flat spot and it looked like somebody had squatted down and took their hand and rubbed it in like a C shaped. Now I know a, a, a buck will come up and like scratch a square onto the ground into the leaves, you know, it's kind of easy to identify, but this looked like somebody spread their hand back and forth. I thought, what in the world? So I was looking for deer prints and lo and behold, <clears throat> there's about a size 10 juvenile bigfoot print right in the middle of that c-shaped thing <laughs> and i was just like really that thing was watching me while i was laying by the fire you know like that's that's kind of creepy and i showed my sister the next day and i think it rained i didn't, didn't try to get it cast or whatever um but that was that was kind of kind of neat did you um did you get a sense of the size of the juvenile print? You know, yeah, about how big it yeah, it looked like about um, the same length as my ten size men's boot. It wasn't it wasn't very big, but it was really wide. It was closer to three and a half, four inches wide, all the way right. down through there. And it was in like if you move the leaves away and stomped into the soil, it, it might have went a half inch down. I didn't do a test beside it. But um, like to see how far I could press down or anything, but um, but uh, and we have quite a few owls and coyotes, and every once in a while the coyotes will lose their mind, you know, and every once in a while the owls, there's like four or five of them, and I've heard quite a few reports where there'll be like um, like a real deep voice. Owl, <laughs> like that, obviously wasn't an owl type thing, but um, that's not connected to it at all. Sorry, but um, anyway, there's there's plenty of wildlife activity as far as ground squirrels, squirrels, deer. Um, we've seen one bobcat. Uh, there's a couple bears on the property. Um, small ones, I'd say. 24 to 30 inches in the back and um so in march of this year um it was one of the first warmer days and my other co-partner and i left the office and i was telling him a bigfoot story i think i'd been listening to Buc buckeye bigfoot and was telling him a story and we parked 
to rearrange some equipment in the back of the side by side. And this is 10:30 in the morning or so. We were on like a, a trail on the side of the hill, kind of on the shelf, and you could see the ridge. It was I don't know, three or four hundred foot away. And I heard a tree starting to fall and looked up and saw it fall. I didn't see anything push it down, but I thought it was weird that I sat there telling Bigfoot story and the tree falls. And, and I've, I've worked there a couple of years and, and rode around out there for two years before that. Never heard a tree fall, but that was a first. Okay. So the next morning, again, I get there about 10, 1030 in the morning. So I go over near that same area within a couple hundred yards, but it was parked down closest to the creek. And, um, and I rolled my window down was just listening because, you know, I couldn't get over the tree falling thing <laughs> and that I saw it fall. So I'm sitting there and I hear a squirrel jumping around in the back. But other, other than that, there's a lot of silent time out in, in those woods. You know, you hear more than 50% of the cases, I guess, that all the animals get silent, no wind, and then something happens. Well, that's what happened. Um, it got super quiet, and I heard the old Louisville slugger on a beech tree sound about halfway up the hill. And I was like, really? Yeah. And it was too early for anybody to be there. I had been sitting at the office for an hour before that and knew that nobody was at the park. So the tree knock came from up about halfway up the hill from where the tree had fallen the day before. So it took about five minutes to build up enough nerve to drive up to where I thought the tree knock was. And I turned the car off again. And down below me, about halfway up from where I just came from, a tree, I don't know, it sounded like every bit of 24 inches. It could have been a standing dead one. It sounded pretty wet and heavy when it hit, but it sounded like something took a lot of effort to push it over. And I was like, okay. So that was like three things within 24 hour period, all in the same general area. Um, so of course I marked that down on my map. Um, it, you know, I don't go out and looking for this thing. I don't like bait it or whatever. And really not too scared to run into one. I don't guess. I mean, I know that you all feel differently as far as might have had a little bit of a. Uh, a I got to tell you, Matthew. Though, um, I I was impressed that you actually created like a like a pin map of activities, and you know, you're you're cataloging, you're you're organizing your data, um, and you know, a lot of people don't do that. So I I, I got to say that was a, that's a compliment. I thought that was very interesting that that you're doing that so yeah, how many uh real quick how many ballpark pins or notations do you have on your map two, three four fourteen okay uh, that's quite a few very good yeah there, there's 14 uh, i guess uh, about a month ago, like I'll just get the feeling. It's like I'm just gonna go up here and sit. You know, it's ten, ten thirty at night. Just want to get away from the crowd, maybe. So I drive up to this new part we had just 
bulldozed in park, turned the vehicle off. I could get cell phone reception up on the bridge. So I'm sitting there, and after about 10 minutes, there have been four, or sorry, two quads or four-wheelers, whatever you guys call them, parked over where we had blocked off a new section of trail or an old section of trail, and they just fired their vehicles up. and kind of startled me, really, because they were only 100 foot away or whatever. And they fired their vehicles up, and they drove past. I waved at them. And uh, they took off down the hill. Well, as soon as their taillights got out of sight, bam, a tree fell behind me in the woods. Total darkness. And I, and I said out loud, I was like, really? You know, like, come on now. <laughs> so... The very next day, my roommate came out to uh, to uh, camp with me in the employee camping, and I think it was about uh, 10, 30, 11 in the morning. Uh, we're sitting there making coffee on the fire. I ran to the office real quick. She went up on the hill to use the restroom to pee, and we met back at the campsite five, ten minutes later. And we're sitting there, and again, a tree that sounded like something had was putting a lot of effort into pushing it over, fell over. Beautiful, clear day. You know, no wind, hadn't been raining. So all these are, like, really close. And on the map, they're all really bunched up. And I noticed it's kind of the edge of the park. Like, none of, none of the stick pins are in the center of the park. Uh, the northern part of the park has a gun range, um, on the outskirts and there's no no incidents up there so i find that interesting um, but my roommate she did actually have a visual sighting of this um i guess what you'd call the the larger of the male uh, or she, she was leaving the park about a little bit before midnight um, everybody needs to get off the trails by, by 12. And since she lives with the trail patrol, she, she has to follow the rules <laughs> anyway. So she's leaving out of there with one of her buddies and she's like, look, a bear. And it was like, they kind of rolled right up on it and it shot under a pine tree. It was obviously a bear. You know, she, she saw it. She used to be, she used to do taxidermy. She knows her animals pretty well. <laughs> so and they passed up where the bear was, went, I don't know, maybe a half a mile towards getting back out onto the state route. And she was like, why is that person standing there? And sometimes people break down and start walking, you know, and go towards the main road or whatever. So her and her friend, they stopped. And they're in the valley looking up one of these power line hills. We have marathon gas pipeline or oil pipeline and high tension wires cutting through the park. Um, so, uh, some of these pins are on those, on those, uh, right ways. But anyway, um, her friend was like, that's no person and revved up the engine a little bit. And it said, it's the classic stop, turn your head a little bit, turn the whole top half of your body. And she said she could see its arms. She couldn't see hair, but she could see the silhouette of this in the skylight. Yeah, um, just from you know from where she was down low and it was about 100 foot or so up the hill elevation wise um, and after they revved the engine it stopped and looked at him they just like okay and just skedaddled out of there and she 
she called me within minutes as soon as I got service down on the state route and told me that. And I was like, yep. You know, it's like. You know, I'm curious, did she mention, um, <clears throat> was there enough light that she could see the color? And No, no, but she assumed it was just black. Um, I've got a, a, uh, a Bigfoot t-shirt that I got at the West Virginia State Park last year, and it says, uh, hanging with the locals, and has a Bigfoot on the front of it. Anyway, she's like, it looks like that, you know, where you can, uh, with the background of the the factory and the glow of our city being in that direction towards the east, the sky lights up better there. If you go to the other side of the park and look towards the west, um, it's a lot darker, you know. So, um, okay, and I I don't I don't know if you said this already. I apologize. Did she when did, when did she have her sighting? It was uh, about. The 15th of January of, of this year. Of this year, okay. Of this year, yeah. And then just about a month after that, her and, well, um, her and one of her friends was in her Jeep in front of my garage out at my rental place. And they'd been making fun of me earlier in that day because I was telling them about that damn juvenile footprint, you know. And, uh, <laughs> so um, I went ahead and took off before them to go get some gas and they were going to sit in the jeep for a minute anyway my roommate again gets out to go pee and gets back in the car and about 10 minutes later something as they're talking smacks the side of the jeep so hard that it shakes it back and forth her friend just immediately turns the car on turns the lights on which is shining on my garage and backs up real quick and of course, they didn't see what did it, um, but um, that that guy he, he lives uh, towards Grayson or whatever, and um, he's like, uh, he's like, I'm I'm not going back there. That was that was nuts. <laughs> and if you know what it is, then that's even worse. You know, it's like I'm just adding that to the the arsenal of ev compiling evidence, you know, I've still have never seen one, but I'm over a hundred percent sure they exist. And not only that, there's a lot of them on top. You of know, um, yeah, you, you, you take the evidence in its totality, it all adds up. Yeah. And, you know, the, the areas that you're describing are areas that we get a lot of reports from, um, I'm just going to ask this real quick. Is there any chance that she's around anywhere? Where? Because I'd love to hear her firsthand uh, description of what she saw. Well, she's not around this evening. She works at a girl's home and doesn't get up till midnight. But, okay. Um, no, I'm just curious if she was in the house and we'd want her on the call. But no, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Yeah. Yeah. So, um and she was on the fence about whether they may be around this area uh, because her uncle, who lived over in Proctorville, Ohio, growing up, said he had his story where he lived on the farm and one always stole his chickens and you know, so on and so forth. So when she was growing up and her dad being a hunter and she was always in the woods being a hunting and fishing, um, 
she she probably believed it more than I, I did at her age. But uh, yeah, so pretty much um, just about every week something is, you know, whether it's clacking of rocks uh, when nobody's at the park or they're pretty close by. Um, in in March, I was making a, a, a single track, which is a dirt bike only track in the park. Um, all of our trails are two-way and for any vehicle, but we had some requests for some dirt bikers to make a little area. So we designated a 40-acre little area that's surrounded by other trails, but it's kind of like its own little play area for dirt bikes. And um, I got assigned to making that trail, just going through the woods and reading the landscape, clearing the way and marking it, calling it a single track. Well, you know, I did it throughout the winter and it took me close to a month, maybe 45 days to make it out there and, and work on that particular area but um yeah i was here rock clacking and i didn't always carry my tools out of there in the evening and if i was, had a rake i'd like lean up against a tree and i specifically remember <clears throat> putting it up against a tree thinking well that won't fall well the next morning it had fallen and i thought all right well so the next day i did the same thing but i put it in the fork of two trees and it's like there now Paul <laughs> you know I wanted to stand my rake up uh but that's the day I heard the clacking and uh the rake was pulled out from the tree and laying on the trail facing where the clacking was coming from okay well that's strange but I really how that. what what's the probability how many people would Let's be out there Nobody knew that I was even making the trail. It wasn't, we don't announce it until it's already done, you know. Um, and, and that's another thing. As I was clearing brush and stuff, I'd specifically drag brush and put it lengthwise along the trail to kind of border as it went out through the woods, you know. And uh, sometimes I'd park in the same spot and walk back out to continue working on the trail. And one of those branches that was broke off and had fallen from uh, the ice storm just uh, the year before um, was laying back in the trail, and I thought, now who in the world would drag that damn thing back over the trail? You know, so that's that's odd. So um, as I was almost done making the trail, I had came to a complete stop. I was walking it one last time before I went down and used the Garmin to track it. Never had to use the Garmin. But anyway, I'm sitting in the woods. Um, I think I had a pair of lockers to where I was just fine-tuning it. And I heard a Garmin turn on, like the, the computer noise it makes when you turn one on, you know. And it was really close, like 50 foot away or something. I looked straight over to nothingness and was like, what the hell? I know there's no trails close enough to where that could have been somebody parked up on a trail and they just happened to turn theirs on, you know, it was, it was really close. And, uh, the next day is when I actually got the Garmin out, charged it up, turned it on and it made that noise. And I was like, ah, oh, that was, that was kind of weird. So all, all those things were confined in like a little 40 acre circle, basically. 
um, uh, again, I still still didn't see one. I haven't seen any juveniles, but I'm pretty convinced that there's at least one big one, a, a juvenile somewhere, and I don't have any evidence really of a, of a female. Well, you, you did see the the juvenile footprint, and yes. and it was wide, so you can. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the distinguishing features with uh, with Bigfoot prints. I I have one juvenile print that I saw is about six inches, and again, it's very wide. You know, it's disproportionately wide. It's not a person unless somebody with a really serious club foot and they're capable of imprinting it deep in the ground. So you, again, I just want to kind of reaffirm. I mean, you're 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 getting a lot of information. And you collect it, and it adds up in its totality to something besides just discrete noises and that sort of thing. And plus, right. your girlfriend, she saw one of the creatures, correct? Right. Correct. Correct, yeah. She was really close to it, actually. And uh, just as, let's see, three weeks ago... Um, of camping and employee camping and which is grouped up in two of those tree falls that I mentioned earlier um, it looks like it's uh, let's see thousand foot in a straight line type thing um, there was another fellow worker that was over two valleys over and he comes over to my campsite and was like hey man he's like did you hear something that sounded like a cow calling for its its calf like when what are you talking about he's like i was over here in zone four and heard what sounded like a a cow and this guy you know lives out in the country and he knows what a cow sounds like he wouldn't i think he would have said did you hear that cow calling for its calf i think a cow's on the hill if you knew what it was but he's kind of questioning i don't know this way he asked me and i was like i don't I don't think that was a cow. I think whatever it was <clears throat> was calling for whatever it was just over here knocking at me because I had just five minutes before that been chopping at some wood with a ha- uh, machete and just kind of shaving off some fire starter. And this was about 730 in the evening, shaving that off. And I was thinking, man, I hope nothing knocks back at me, you know, thinking that. <laughs> but sure enough, it was like as if it was repeating what I was just doing. Uh and then here he comes asking if there was a cow calling for its, or asked if I heard it, you know. But where he was saying that came from was from where that first initial tree fell. I'm camped just two valleys over, but, in, you know, in a straight line, just a thousand foot, maybe 1,500 foot straight line from where he would have heard that. And were both of the tree falls that were as recent back as uh, uh, Memorial Day weekend. Uh, just couple weeks ago so that's that's well here's here's an obvious question have any of the co-workers anybody else you know you get this guy he comes up he said hey did you hear that cow has anybody else kind of you know sort of taken you aside or anybody said hey um are any other reports of bigfoot either from employees or from the tourists who come there 
or maybe you know, anybody in the area that you've heard of where they're like, hey, listen, I got to tell um, you this. I'm pretty open with it. I don't care who I tell. I mean, if somebody is just checking in, you know, and the timing is right, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to them. You know, I, I, all, all my coworkers, none of them have seen anything. Three of the five people that work there work in the office for the most part. And there's only one other trail patrol. And he's uh, mid-60s, been in the woods a lot. He used to patrol for the marathon station. He had like a pretty good loop to check fences and stuff for like 27 years doing security guard type thing. He's He's never seen anything, but, you know, I've been telling him all kinds of crazy reports and stuff for the past year and a half or so. So if he saw one, he probably wouldn't wouldn't be surprised and everybody at the office just kind of uh, they don't they don't make fun of me they you know they, they know i'm serious so i mean there's things that i just don't even tell them i, I don't I, I don't even think i've told them about the trees falling over um but anyway yeah so uh, as far as locals go, I've had one one couple stop me at about 10 o'clock in the morning when I first started working at the park. And um, I had just got out in that creek and was like, I never have crossed this creek and went up this particular trail. I just want to look around the corner because there's kind of high banks in the creek. I went over there and I peed, peed out my morning coffee, went and did my task. And as I came back, past that place there was a couple that was pulled over and they flagged me down I was like hey you lost they're like no no we just saw a bear where at they're like the point is it's like oh man i just peed there i bet it was they're like yeah it was drinking water right out of that corner I was like, okay well they said they were cutting through the creek it stuck its head up and took off running up the hill <clears throat> that's that's a bear sighting um so between my roommate seeing a bear and that one seeing a bear that's that's the only reports that i've had of any other wildlife where somebody felt like they didn't tell me that they saw something but no no riders have um have pulled me aside and mentioned it or anything um right well what i i guess the other thing that i'm curious about is uh in general um maybe outside of the park, history of the creatures, either in the area or in Kentucky, Ohio, the tri-state area. What do you know about uh, reports, legends, that sort of thing? Let's see. Um, Not far from the park, there was a lady that was making reports in the late 90s, and I believe in the early 2000s. Um, Her and her son, on the way home from basketball, game you know middle school basketball game in the evening saw one cross um hurricane road straight stretch woods on both sides she claimed it was 13 foot tall or whatever i remember getting into it with people on the bfro forums or whatever it's like there's no there's not one report of a 13 foot tall bigfoot you know (laughs) well but but it's in the moment in the moment you know it can seem hey man that thing was huge it was tall. 
So, so it, it also was close to a, a, a power line trail through the woods. And she lived just a couple miles down the road on Soaps Creek. And uh, she said she felt like a ball at her home because she started having activity out behind her house. And then she said she heard somebody screeching their tires one time, looked out front, and it was these teenagers that were peeling out and backing up. And she said the thing was standing in the road. And not long after that, she read it somewhere in a report where somebody made that report. And she saw the report happen. You know, so, so um, but she had all kinds of activity. I believe, I'm, I'm not sure she was on, um, she was on one of the podcasts. Um, sawdust something I can't think of the name of it um, anyway I, I believe she told her her sightings uh, for at least an hour um, uh, there was um, one that came out of the big sandy river down by the refinery uh, a lady again a lady and her son were, they were going to work at the refinery coming I guess that's west 52 into Canova and saw one come up and cross the road, and they said it was obviously wet, and it just cut across the road, across the road tracks, up into the woods. Um, in Greenup County, which is due west of my hometown, um, there was a report of uh, an older gentleman and his grandson with a 22 squirrel rifle going, just walking up, you know, in the woods locally, whether it was their backyard or, or not, they were in the woods. And they thought they heard somebody talking. So they crested over the hill, and lo and behold, there's a Bigfoot sitting on a log, like using a stick to, I guess, catch grubs or whatever, using the tool, and was talking what he said sounded like a Japanese or like a samurai warrior or whatever. So I thought that was neat that we had some a report of some local chatter. Um, and this is a guy in Ohio or Kentucky? Uh, County, Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right across okay. the street, right in line with the Wayne National Forest across the Ohio River. All, all this was within 10, 15 minute drive. All these reports are. Okay. So it's concentrated in a certain area. Well, listen, Matthew, I got to thank you. I really appreciate you reaching out to us and uh, very interesting. If, um, would love to hear from your roommate if she would be willing to come on and maybe just do a real quick um, discussion about what she saw. That'd just be fantastic. Yeah. Um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. We're at the end of our hour. So uh, I appreciate it. And uh, stay on after after the show and we'll just chat a little bit. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. In Bigfoot History, Laird Meadow Road, August 21, 1964. Roger Patterson, making his first trip to Bluff Creek, saw tracks coming down the hill across the road around an old logging landing. They were 17 inches long, 5 inches across the heel, with an average 52-inch stride. They sank in the ground an inch and a half, where his own print scarcely showed. He made an excellent cast of what appears to be the print of the original Bigfoot.
preliminary description of the external morphology of what appeared to be the fresh corpse of a hitherto unknown form of living hominid. This paper describes, in somewhat general terms, the results of a preliminary inspection of the corpse of what appeared to be some form of large primate of hominid form. The notion that it is a composite manufactured from parts of human corpses and or other animals must, of course, still be considered, since the body has not yet actually been examined. Should it be, the artist who put it together, inserting several million hairs in a skin before it rotted or was preserved, would have to have had some concept to work from, and there is no such extent. This for the following reason. This body is not that of any hominid or pongid, and what is much more significant, it does not conform to any reconstruction or artist's conception of any fossil man or ape or other anthropoid. Its general features and particular characters, as detailed above, display an extraordinary mixture of what have until now been assigned either to men or apes, but it also shows others that have never been assigned or attributed to any of either. However, two separate companies specializing in model-making for waxwork museums, exhibits, and film companies in Hollywood, California, have been traced and individual model makers working for both have stated that they made copies with wax or latex and using hair from bears. Mr. Hansen, the caretaker, informed us in January of this year that such a model had been made in April of 1967 because the owner of the original was worried about its safety. An object such as this could possibly be constructed, starting with the skin of a large male pale-skinned chimpanzee using a human skull glove makers, wood racks for the hands, and so forth. The original could have been of this nature, and then a copy or copies made from it. Just in case this might not be the origin of the specimen, we should consider the alternative. Namely, that it is a genuine corpse of a comparatively recently killed specimen, not fossilized in any way, of some form of parahominid. This is the considered opinion of Huvelman's and is based on as thorough an examination as he was able to make, considering that the specimen is encased in ice that is more than half opaque and sunk about two feet below the glass cover of its container. And, if this is the correct interpretation, we would opine that it would more probably be on the hominid rather than the pongid stem of anthropoid evolution. Just where it should be placed on that stem cannot, of course, be said, until it has been properly examined out of its ice envelopment. Further, and much more important, will be any analysis of its blood, plasma, and other body fluids, if they are still sufficiently preserved for typing. Even then, we may well be confounded because this specimen displays such a combination of characters attributed to the two presently thought quite widely separated families of anthropoid primates. And this constrains us to add a note of added caution. In view of the fact that pongids and hominids have now been shown to fall into several groups, together, Vidi, the Caucasoid and Congoid hominids, with the gorillas and chimpanzees on the one hand, and the Mias, Siamangs, and Gibbons among the pongids with the Mongoloid hominids on the other, is it not possible that not only the hominids, but the pongids have a grid-like genetic origin? If this be the case, could the concept not be further extended to include all the anthropoids, 
so that there may have been, and in this case may still be, truly man-like apes and ape-like men? This specimen is by several criteria a hominid, noticeably by its feet, but it has many pongid characters. Are the diagnostic features we are currently employing to separate the apes from men valid? If not, are both our families invalid, and could both groups form but one complex? If so, we will have to add the hairy man to Desmond Morris's naked ape. Anything of this nature will absolutely demand an overall revision of our ideas of both physical and social anthropology, and will present a somewhat alarming problem to scientists and religionists alike. This author's personal opinion as to the precise identity of this specimen is, at the moment, not formulated. As a trained zoologist and one who spent many years collecting mammalian and particularly primate specimens for examination, dissection, and preservation in the field and while fresh, we would not presume to make any definite pronouncement upon anything other than a purely generalized overall description of its external appearance. The corpus must be freed from its ice encasement and properly examined first. However, some speculation as to the taxonomic status of this creature, if it finally proves to be real, is perhaps permissible, since we do have detailed measurements and photographs to back it up. It is Huvelman's opinion, which he states categorically in his paper, that this body represents the fresh remains of a Neanderthaloid human. Such hominids are currently classed as a subspecies of Homo sapiens, yet Huvelman's has named this item Homo pongoids, and thus of full specific rank. Though we suggested that appellation, pongoids, in the first place, we envisaged it either as a subspecific to Homo sapiens, since we have no idea as to the external morphology of the fossil Neanderthaloids, or merely as a possible specific for some other genus of anthropoid. However, this suggestion was purely tentative in that, despite the existence of this specimen, we have no more idea of its anatomy, histology, or physiology than we do of the external morphology of the Neanderthalers. I am therefore officially disassociating my name from that given in Huvelman's paper. We are constrained to do this not only because we are personally averse to naming any specimen before it has been physically obtained and properly examined, but also more precisely because we are not convinced that this specimen is Neanderthaloid or even a member of the genus Homo as presently constituted. Further still, it might not even be an anthropoid, but rather a survivor of a line divergent from, and possibly lying between, the hominid and the pongid branches, but derived from a common ancestor to all three. In the absence of the corpus itself, as of the time of writing, and in view of our total lack of knowledge of the external morphology of any anthropoids other than the living hominids and pongids, we consider it to be most incautious to attempt to identify this specimen as of now, and more especially to confine it within a subspecific title. And anent this, one essential feature of this specimen seems to have been overlooked. What can be seen of the conformation of the face, meaning the front of the head, in no way conforms to any known fossil hominid, apart from the juvenile Australopithecoids, and particularly to that of any Neanderthaler of comparable size. There is no prognosticism, virtually no brow ridges. The forehead does not slope acutely. 
the two teeth that can be seen are infantile. In fact, from what can be assessed of the anatomical structure of the fore part of the skull, this creature is almost as far removed from the standard Neanderthaloid construction as is possible. In these same respects, it shows no more affinity with Homo erectus, Homo habilis, what is known of same, or more especially, such lower types as were once called pithecanthropines, australopithecines, or such like. In fact, if it does prove to be a hominid, by whatever criteria may be decided upon to define that family when and if it is examined, it might well be called Homo pongoids but it most certainly should not be assigned to the Neanderthal race or complex. Our final conclusion, therefore, is that the specimen we inspected was that of a genuine corpse as opposed to a composite or a construction, and that it is some form of primate. We would categorize it, as of now, as an anthropoid, but whether it is a hominid, a pongid, or a representative of some other previously unsuspected branch of that superfamily, we are not prepared either to say or even to speculate. There are certain firm indications that the specimen examined by Huvelmans and this writer, though it has been removed from the place where we saw it and hidden while a substitute model has been installed, has not been destroyed and may therefore eventually become available for proper scientific examination. Until such time as this is achieved we advise that it serve only as a pointer to the possible continued existence of at least one kind of fully-haired, ultra-primitive, anthropoid-like primate, and be used only as a lever to pry open the hitherto hidebound notion that any such thing is impossible. Thanks for listening to this episode of Creek Devil. If you or anyone you know has had an encounter with these creatures, please contact us at williamjevning at yahoo.com. That's William, J-E-V-N-I-N-G, at yahoo.com. All communication is confidential. Join us for another program next week. And until then, keep your eyes open out there.